Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and welcome to Valor Studios. We are a tabletop role-playing content creation community, and we love sharing our stories with the world. As I said at the top of the show, I am Ryan Howard, and if you are unfamiliar with Rollin' Bones, basically what we do here is we bring on people who love tabletop gaming, uh, you know, love role-playing, love miniatures, and talk to them about why they love this hobby, why they love gaming, and what they are putting out into the world that is gaming-related. And uh, if you guys like what you're seeing tonight, definitely hit the subscribe button down here below me. We appreciate any subs that you guys are willing to give us. Uh, if you want to see a little bit more information about what we have going on, you can catch uh, the information at ValorStudios.com, which you'll see a link for over here next to me. And you can also... Uh, see what we have going on in our Discord, which there's a link for over here next to me as well. You can also find all of our content after the fact on our YouTube page, which, again, you'll see a link for in the chat. And uh, if you would, you know, share those videos with people who don't know what's going on, haven't seen our stuff before, uh, we'd greatly appreciate that. You know, we, we want people to see as much of this as they possibly can, because these are some interesting conversations, as you'll know uh, if you... Caught what we were talking about last week. That was a hell of a show. And it's on YouTube, so you can share it with your friends. And uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, we thank you for supporting us in that way. We also like to thank our audio listeners, who in many cases have been with us ever since the beginning of the show three years ago. So guys, thank you so much for supporting us in that way. If you want to catch this thing live, it happens on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central, right here at twitch.tv slash Studios. So, with that in mind, uh, we've got a really cool episode tonight. I am bringing on a uh, guest who is very knowledgeable in the realm of miniatures. Uh, you may know him from his contributions on DearTonyBlair.com. You may also know him from the Little Soldier Company or from several uh, Facebook groups dedicated to miniatures. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, boneheads alike, uh, please put your hands together for Mr. David Wood. David, welcome to Rolling Bones. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to be here. Absolutely. I'm I'm glad that you're willing to uh to brave this late hour to come on this uh this show here and uh talk with us about miniatures. It's it's not a problem at all. I said I used to do night shifts and I'm well armed with coffee already. Awesome. Awesome. Well, as is tradition on Rollin' Bones, everyone who comes on here for the first time gets a, uh, a round of introductory questions just to get a little background. So, 
let's start at the beginning here. How did you get into tabletop gaming and how did you get into miniature collecting? Tabletop gaming for me started um, with uh, Holmes Basic around uh, 77, it will have been, when it came over here. I've been collecting miniatures for some time, historical, you know, airfix, start off with airfix, plastics, you know, when you, um, 9, 10, 11, 12, etc. Um, Holmes Basic introduced me to the world of gaming role playing. Uh, I got a, a good bunch of guys. Uh, together, um, dragged them into it, and they were hooked. And I just absolutely loved it. But I also found that it, the miniatures were more of a pull for me. Uh, my uh, dungeon mastering, I would only do things if I had the miniature. Uh, I, people would say, no, no, you, you don't have to have the miniature. Say, yes, I do. <laughs> and it became more of an obsession as time went on. And I uh, just, I didn't stop. My friends went off to university. I joined a few more D&D groups and I never quite had the same pull as that initial um, uh, joy. So I just ended up collecting miniatures and carried on from there. I buy games. The, the amount of Kickstarters I've backed um, for board games is ridiculous. I, I look at it and I just think, oh God, no. My divorce papers from what 2015 actually state miniature collecting as the reason for the divorce and <laughs> one day one day i will get that framed uh but probably after my children have left left the house they can't see it so <laughs> it's, uh, it's just been an obsession uh I, I understand my poor ex uh she had a fault but uh, i think i, I might have had a few and uh, uh, a number of them are uh, lead related oh goodness marriage ended by lead poisoning i hope my wife is not listening to that Oh my goodness. That you know, honestly, I, I do think you should get that frame. That that's that's very unique. I, I've not heard that on Rolling Bones in the three years that I've been doing this show, so it's it's I, I think I'm one of the few people to have that on a divorce paper. And uh, I, I, well, I can't say I'm proud of it because I, I I adore my children. They'd hate me to be proud of that. Uh, but uh, the, the truth of the matter is we couldn't come up with anything that the um, uh, solicitors would agree on. Um, so we had to pick something. And that was about the only thing we could really come up with. But it, it does state it on there. It's a, it's a, it's a great uh, conversation starter. <laughs> gotcha. So uh, when it comes to both, uh, you know, the, the role-playing side of things, because this is largely a role-playing show, but also the miniature side of things, What's your favorite role-playing game of all time? And then uh, who's your favorite miniature company of all time? Who, who do you think really has made the best stuff, the stuff that you really like to, to collect and look at and paint? Well, from role-playing games, I, obviously, as I say, I started with um, Holmes Basic, then went on to uh, first edition uh, AD&D, which when I got the um, Dungeon Master's Guide, I, I don't think I ever got through reading it it was such an incredibly detailed over the top tome for me uh, and my way of role playing uh, was make it up as you go along you use the rule book as a guideline uh, and i think one of the reasons i moved away from a number of the, the newer people i joined with uh, was that a lot of them were rules people and i just no 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 you're ruining the game 
I, I think I, I would I would role play the character. Um, I'd, I'd use my charisma. I would stand up and I would play acting uh, to the astonishment of various people uh, who hadn't seen it before. Uh, and it just it it never became what I wanted it to become, mm. which I, th I think I moved away from it all. Um, I had uh, Call of Cthulhu, which I love the uh, the genre, uh, Lovecraftian mythos. Absolutely adore it. Never played it, but bought everything voraciously. Read it through and read it through and read it through. Then miniatures came out for it. It's like, oh my god, this is this is heaven, absolute heaven. So more and more and more and more. Excuse me, and it just it never stopped. Um, you know, RuneQuest. What a fantastic system! Absolutely incredible. Ducks, intelligent ducks, ducks with swords. You, you couldn't ask for it better. Um, again, I never played it. I talked about it. I read it, uh, and then the miniatures came out, and it's like, yay, fantastic! Uh, and that was the whole thing. Gamma World. Oh, what an incredible metaphor. Metamorphosis Alpha. Wow, fantastic! And you could get miniatures for them. The whole thing for me went hand in hand. And it just evolved along along those lines. So, as I say, the amount of games I have is criminal, uh, and I'm sure many many of you, um, the guys watching um, will say, "No, however many you've got, I've got more." Um, but you got to bear in mind, I don't play the games; I just buy them if they've got miniatures related to them. Um, moving on to the miniatures companies, who do I think is the best? It's, it's which is your favourite child? You, know, mm. you cannot answer that question without uh, one of the children slapping you and you know being forever uh, hated. Um, I I love old school miniatures. I, uh, my times go back to uh, minifigs, Jack Scrooby, um, uh, Peter Lang, uh, etc. They're the the really old school things. Um, we have uh, Rel Parthen out. It's been going since you know the seventies. Obviously, Games Workshop, Citadel, uh, many others. You know, old, old Glory. Um, they're all fantastic in their own way. Um, War Games Foundry now. I just the, the stuff they do is fantastic. They've been very quiet for a while. You know, they're becoming busier again. Um, Games Workshop. The, the, the things they produce are fantastic. But for me, the, the soul, in a sense, isn't there. Uh, I I like that old school soul. You know, you give me an old uh, Dragon Tooth. Um, uh, some of your guys might know the uh, the old giants from Dragon Tooth, Tom Loback sculpts. They were horrendous, but they they caught me. Absolutely caught me. And, and there's there's a few companies uh, around at the moment that are starting up that are getting back to the old school style of sculpting. Uh, so many people have got into the um, computer style sculpting. Brilliant. It's an evolution. Um, all art, art changes, for better or for worse, but it's it's an evolution. It, you know, everything moves forward. And, you know, you, you go back to um, uh, classical architect, uh, classical archaeology, classical um, sculpture, uh, the ancient Greeks and such like. Fantastic. Then about uh, 400 AD, 300, 400, 500 AD, it kind of goes through a change becomes more uh, blocky, more stiff. And I could never understand it until I clicked. It's an evolution, and everything is an evolution. And the miniatures world is just the same. I'm sure it is the same in gaming, but I can't really answer so much from the gaming side. 
uh, because I buy the games, I flip through them, and then that goes to the side, I look at the miniatures, I'll go to the side and I buy the next thing. I, but I keep coming back to the miniatures. Uh, my, generally, one of my favourites um, has got to be Ralph Arthur, uh, or Thunderbolt Mountain with Tom Meyer, who has got to be one of my all-time favourite sculptors. But don't tell anyone else about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll tell you one one that I really like uh, that I was turned on to. I think it's been a couple of years now, uh, but I, I really like the miniatures that I've gotten from Hassle Free. Uh, that, that's oh, a, a great company. Yeah, yeah, right. he, is, he is such an incredible sculptor. He really is. I mean, he, he's toying with the uh, computer stuff at the moment. Uh, and he's actually so close to how he actually sculpts anyway it's it's kind of scary uh, i have oh god hundreds of their miniatures <laughs> they are just they're just superb the way if you've ever seen a, a tutorial with him or the way he builds up um you know it builds up he kind of sculpts the um you know the musculature and then puts um clothing on top of it and i'm like well why didn't you just go for the clothing straight away it's the way he does it uh, it's, it's just so incredibly realistic. Uh, you go for a lot of companies where they have this um, exaggerated style. Um, Ke um, Kev, Kev Adams, for example, what, he's one of my favorites. Um, he has a very exaggerated style. Kev White, he's a realistic. Tom Meyer, he's hyper-realistic. Um, but yeah, ha hassle-free. Oh, just swear by them. Absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. And the great people as well. Yeah, abs absolutely. Um and for anyone out there who's looking for a, a hard recommendation as far as hassle-free goes, my favorite miniature that uh, that Kevin White did is Harvey, because Harvey is very clearly Marv from Sin City or Hellboy, depending on which pieces you put on him. Uh, but it's a great-looking miniature. And I have you know, I, I actually sculpted a tail onto him to make him Hellboy. They had nice. to had to do that. Hmm. I made mine Marv because, I mean, Sin City is, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. So being able to have a Marv miniature that I painted black and white with blood on it, I can't quite reach him. He's, he's just out of my reach over here on my, my miniature shelf, but that that's one of my favorite pieces that I have. And it is great when you, you get a, um, a figure that you can connect with. It's, um, it is great. Very absolute. As, as I say... So many sculptors um, capture just that something. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, you say, Kev White's uh, one of them. Uh, an old school guy, uh, Tim Richards, long, uh, long gone now, unfortunately, who worked for Phoenix Miniatures. He was very early on, he was, um, it, it was literally sort of the Kev White of that time. He did larger scale, did Phoenix Follies, all scantily dressed uh, women, etc. But his, his historicals, again, they were just fantastic. Uh, you go back to uh, post-militaire, uh, which again, going back into the 70s, uh, early 80s, their large scale by Ray Lamb, uh, just out, absolutely outstanding and knocked, absolutely knocked the competition out of the, uh, out of the ballpark. Um, but again, unfortunately, you know, they're long gone. Um, and that they, a lot of them never did gaming miniatures which is a real shame. Gotcha. Now, uh, the, the last of these introductory questions that I want to ask you before we kind of dig deep into some history here. Um, 
And this is a question that trips up a lot of people. I'll tell you, the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. If you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? I, very boring. I have my favorite t-shirt upstairs. And it's a um, happiness is uh, a man with a beer and his dog. And it's just got a picture of a bloke with his Westie. Because I've got a West Island Terrier. Uh, and that for me is the ultimate t-shirt. You know, I, I, I just can't beat that, I'm afraid. It's not miniature related, although I'm sorry. I, although I, I do produce miniatures of, of Westies uh, on, on the company, not, not trying to plug it, but uh, so I can kind of say it's almost miniature related. Uh, but yeah, yeah, if I was going to have a, uh, a t-shirt given to everybody, it would be that t-shirt. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and I think that's a sentiment that we can all get behind. Yeah. Dogs are great, beer is great. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I, since divorce, you know, I've got a dog and I've got beer. You, know, you can rely on the two of those things. Is, is there a particular beer that you find the most comfort in? Um, the one that's in the fridge. Fair enough. Yeah, it's, you know, I've got to say that. I just, uh, I'm open on it. Hmm. I don't have any preference. Cheap red wine or any beer. Gotcha. I don't think I've ever had Canadian beer. I've never had Canadian beer, come to think of it. Oh. And I, I did, when I was an American many years ago, I, I was asking for Schlitz. And the guys uh, who, who dragged me out from the hotel said, why you want to drink that? <laughs> that? That was the only American beer I knew. It was the only one we could buy at the time. This will be about 82, something like 82, 81, 82, 83. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll have a Schlitz, please. And they just kind of almost stopped. I was like, what? Why would you drink that? <laughs> but, you know. Hmm. I mean, that, that was a great time. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm digressing. If I'm di if I digress too much, interrupt. Uh, but I was in the States, um, eight, I think it was 82, I was about 21, and uh, I we went over to Arizona mm -hmm. uh, to with my parents, and I went to Flying Buffalo. Nice. Um, met Saint Andre and a lot of them. Uh, it was just a great meet-up in the, in the shop at Flying Buffalo, chatting away to them, and they invited me to go and play. And I was too nervous to say yes. <laughs> to this day, I regret that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't. All I can remember was Ken was there. I can't remember who else was there. Um, but that that will have, would have been the most fantastic role playing session ever. Mm -hmm. uh, similar to you know, if you got the chance to play with Gary Guy uh, so, But you know, it didn't happen because I was nervous. And was, uh, mm -hmm. again, I, just, I look back and I regret it. I picked up a bunch of miniatures that I'd never seen before because you know got very few American miniatures back then over here. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I blew it. I absolutely blew it. In fact, that's that. Maybe that should be on the T-shirt. I <laughs> um, think of the tunnels and trolls. Picture of Ken Santandre, and I blew it. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. That's my T-shirt. Forget the Westie. Sorry, Aria. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So, 
getting into the uh, the the world of miniature history, uh, the the natural beginning point here, I think, would actually be the very beginning. So, a as far as where miniatures come from, uh, as we know them, they they kind of begin life in in Prussia and and you know Germany before German unification as a celebration of like Prussian militarism. Um, and, and these were not what we actually think of as, as miniatures. These were actually uh, more or less flat, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did. Um, they had the flat. I mean, they did the, the, the war game Kriegsfeld, which was the, um, you know, like a military training. Um, well, literally a military training manual, you could almost call it, um, to t teach officers. Uh, and I think a lot of the, the German... Um, love for um, soldiery came from that. Mm. Um, they had the the Zintergoen, which were the flat. Um, you had semi-flats. I know Neville, Neville Stocken used to uh, talk to me about it. He, he was very... Uh, so he, he ran archive miniatures uh, in the 70s and 80s. Um, very knowledgeable about all that side of things. Um, but they, uh, they I think they created the moulds from slate. They, you know, they, they cut them out from the slate. Uh, just incredible. I mean, you can you can, you can buy flats; they're still produced today. Um, as I say, Sinngeisseri um, in um, Germany some years ago. Um, and again, it's just just watching them pour there was a totally different aspect to what they do now, which is generally you know the spin casting. Um, just very very interesting. But yet we have this um, slow ev evolution of the um, flat figures uh, becoming. Yeah, more round. So you went from flat to a, what did Nemel say, De demi round or something like that, um, and then eventually we get the rounder figures. And when uh, Britons in, I don't know, it'll be the 1900s um, invented a, a method of hollow casting tin uh, or lead, sorry, and suddenly they were able to mass produce figures at a cheap price, mm. which suddenly opens up the hobby because people can afford them. Uh, yeah, that, that sort of massive ball rolling. Um, so becoming from a middle class um, upwards hobby that you know, only those people with money could afford, suddenly these f figures were available you know, for pennies. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And it's, it's right around the same time where uh, a somewhat famous uh, face more or less invents uh, the the modern conception of uh, miniature wargaming, and and that's the author who you may recognize from Treasure Island and Kidnapped, Robert Louis Stevenson. His or Robert Louis Stevens, rather. I always put the son at the end because I'm a moron. But anyway, uh, Rob, or sorry, I I actually am a moron. It is Robert Louis Stevenson. That's. <laughs> Oh, sorry, anyway. yeah, sorry, you cut out there. Yeah, yeah, Robert Louis Stevenson. I, mm -hmm. I don't know very much about his history, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. um, when we sort of move on slightly to H.G. Wells, yeah, you know, the Little Wars aspect, um, I'm far more familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Stevenson, I'm embarrassed to say, you know, I'm, I know very little about. Mm -hmm. uh, and his... Look at... Before we get to H.G. Wells, which is also an 
interesting uh, a story because he's the one who really popularizes this. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, it, it was his stepson that documented this, uh, but he he would create these kind of intricate scenarios with miniatures. Um, he didn't publish the rules that he used, which is why H.G. Uh, Wells ends up being the one who kind of popularized it. But apparently uh, Robert Louis Stevenson and his sons were uh, big into wargaming and incorporated miniatures into it kind of early on. So the same guy who wrote uh, Treasure Island and Kidnapped also may have been a pioneer of uh, of miniature wargaming. That would make um, complete, complete sense. Mm. But I say it, that, that's an aspect I need to look at because it uh, sounds fascinating. Mm. The, the um, I mean, he's... Uh, yeah, the detail he goes through in his books, you can imagine mm -hmm. what those battles could have been like. That were those, uh, you know, his tabletop would have been like. It could have been uh, very much uh, sto story led, possibly. Mm. You know, maybe a touch of role playing. That that's an interesting thought. Uh, I I had not I I had not thought about it that way. With him being an an author. His his games may have had kind of an element of story to them, so. Well, that's, that's what I, I would have thought. I'm, I'm kind of you know, trying to think <laughs> on my feet there because I say trying to um, A B uh, to C etc. Um, <laughs> so, as you say, the way his books read, um, you can imagine uh, you know if he's playing with his sons, they're trying to do something, and he's like, "Oh, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, let me take over." Cause, yeah, he will have been. I, I would think quite a forceful personality could be wrong. Um, mm -hmm. I want things to go along with the storyline, which yeah. would make for more, you know, for a far better game. And so, you know, which comes first, the uh, you know, uh, Treasure Island uh, shipwreck or the war game? You know, did, did he come up with ideas for his books from the games? Uh, you know, was one leading the other? It's um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to think about that while he was writing like kidnapped, he might have been running scenarios with his kids through like the the Jacobite war. So exactly, yeah, yeah, that is that, that was genius, absolute genius. Mm -hmm. Now the other name that you mentioned there was H.G. Wells. So moving ahead, roughly twenty years or so. H.G. Uh, Wells and his social circle also start picking up uh, miniature wargaming, only they publish their rule set as, uh, I believe they called the game Little Wars. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's, I think, as far as I'm aware, that's one of, one of the first uh, sort of, uh, commercial-style uh, wargame rules. Uh, that, well, that, I guess, yes, that I'm aware of. Um, I think as a, we had a quick chat earlier on it, I think he... He should also be arrested for crimes against lead, from the point of view that there are you know, so many hundreds, maybe thousands of people uh, playing war games using toy cannon and destroying miniatures, destroying paint jobs on these, you know, these old wonderful uh, Britain's Holocaust, you know, hand-painted lead figures, uh, mm. and they're all tally ho, tally ho, whatever, pyong, uh, chong, 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 knocking them over, and uh, but yes. Uh, a far, he's often mentioned as as the father of wargaming. Um, again, it's, a, it's an aspect I, I only know a little of. Uh, 
with with him really. So I, I couldn't um, I'll argue the point for or against, but I, I do quite often read that. Uh, oh yes, blah blah blah. HG Wells, father of wargaming. Uh, but uh, yeah, as I say, I love the guy. Box and everything, fantastic. Um, obviously, yeah, War of the Worlds just opened up a, a totally new genre. Um, uh, well, not a new genre, but a, a, a popular genre. Uh, but yes, um, the destruction of so many uh, lead figures uh, has to go down as one of one of the smallest crimes in history. <laughs> now, I I have to imagine that in starting around 1914 and then continuing all the way through uh, 1945. Do, do you know if there's any kind of decline in wargaming at that point just due to simply a, a shortage of materials to, to was, make miniatures? Quite a, quite a large um, shortage. I mean, think things like, um, uh, if you think of Monopoly, the board game, mm-hmm. that no longer had metal pieces. You know, they, they had wooden pieces, card pieces and such like. Um, and a, a lot of um, the Britain's factories, and I'm, I'm sure other similar ones, were uh, put up, put aside to you know, war effort uh, because you, you couldn't get, um, like you say, the raw material. So there would have been a, 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 quite a slowdown. Um, again, it's one of those those details that I've read a few few little bits and pieces, but it's been so long ago. Um, that I, I can't really remember the details, but I, I know, as I say, the monocular one I know of because I, I picked up a set, um, ha- having read that, and I thought, oh, I must get a set of you know, wartime monopoly. And uh, it's a very small version, uh, but it's you know, it's monopoly, but monopoly without metal, uh, produced on a um, yeah, a World War II uh, budget. I think I think all aspects of uh, well, all aspects of um, any hobby will have suffered at that point uh, or uh, during those years. Uh, and obviously, uh, once we come out of it, then the curve starts going back up again, which is uh, where, you know, how we end up with where we are today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, moving beyond the wars, uh, at this point, you know, materials become more and more available, and uh, Starting around the mid-50s is when kind of wargaming and board games begin to get more popular. Uh, so around that time, what, what do miniatures begin to look like as we enter kind of the, the newer industrial phase of the 1950s? Well, I think the um, we moved slowly but surely from the larger scale um, to um, the more the wargaming scales mm-hmm. partly due i think to um lack of resources uh but also uh, innovation uh, a lot cheaper to produce the some of the earliest um people producing wargame figures that i'm aware of uh were jack scrooby uh minifigs um who uh, they those two vie but in, we're moving further on into the like the um, late sixties to the early seventies, where they started looking at um, fantasy. Um, both of them vie with the first um, fantasy, which uh, between seventy two and seventy four, we can't pinpoint who was first. We think it was many figs. We're not sure. Um, but built up post war, 
I've, again, I've got to say, uh, gaps in my knowledge. Um, but again, it's um, people coming back from the war, they wanted to you know, hide away from a lot of those memories. So I think a, a lot of um, war sales will have gone down. The German um, um, manufacturing uh, was obviously mostly destroyed, but they did uh, obviously slowly pick up. The Zinfiger and uh, the flats and such like all were always selling. Um, but again, it was just the, what do you do at times of war? You know, a lot of things you can't sell. Um, the actual facts of the matter, again, I've got to say, hold my hands up, no, um, I'm not 100% on that, I'm afraid. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so we do, at a certain point, find ourselves in the 1970s, and this is where kind of the, what we now modern, you know, the, the modern conception of miniatures really begins to take shape around kind of this era. And interestingly enough, there's a, a small resurgence in fantasy in the 70s, kind of in and around the original Lord of the Rings adaptation, uh, the animated movie is kind of a flashpoint for that. But then there's also the creation of Dungeons and Dragons uh, for the first time. Uh, so where do fantasy miniatures, the the subject matter that you uh, kind of have the most interest in, in the the miniature world, where, where does that kind of enter the scene and become uh, the, the beginnings of what we know it to be today? Well, minifigs, I, I know um, Neville Dickinson of minifigs always used to say that minifigs will make the figures you want before you know you want them. Uh, <laughs> he was uh, very much a... Uh, a, a very much a businessman, uh, as opposed to being a hobbyist. Uh, he, they, they used to say they invented 50, the concept of 15 mil. They had six mil before everyone else. I think they had three mil um, blocks at some point. They had 30 mil. They, they, they were so prodigious in their output. It was unbelievable. Uh, but there was Peter Lang who did the 15 mil first, we believe. Um, Neville always said he did fantasy first, uh, but and he did the first one that was called Middle Earth. I know Jack Scrooby uh, had a fantasy range. They were all very, very crude by today's standards, uh, but again, they were uh, a product of the time. The um, the sculptors, uh, 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 Dick Higgs, who did the sculpting for most of the sculpting for many things at the time, sculpted in um, uh, built up from solder. So he would basically use a soldering iron uh, and build up slowly but surely. A form and then he'd use metal files to file down uh, and then if he wants to do a conversion he'd just get the master and add more solder and then you ended up with a very angular figure which is characteristic of early minifigs um, but they uh, the fantasy took off a lot more than they thought it would minifigs um, had the uh, the first uh, Emmy range at uh, Middle Earth they had to change all the names uh, because of they, they didn't want to pay a license. Mm. Uh, and you had you know, Jack Scrooby did the fantasy. It was never particularly large, I don't think, the Jack Scrooby um, uh, range. Well, I said, as in the amount of figures within it was never particularly large. I don't know if it was that particular popular. Uh, popular. And our tabletop talk um, are reproducing the moulds now. Um, so you, you can still get hold of these figures. They're absolute gems. Um, you can't put them side by side with today's figures, but if you want some real history, you, know, you can get them. 
but it started a ball rolling. Uh, Minifigs then did a, um, a sword and sorcery range. Uh, they had uh, science fiction ranges, and it, it caught on. And bit by bit, more and more companies started coming out of the um, uh, the ether, the woodwork, uh, whatever you want to call it, jumping on these bandwagons until we start getting um, like Citadel miniatures. Uh, well, before that, there was Asgard miniatures. In America, you had Heritage or Dead Kriegspillers, who uh, in the late 70s, mid to late 70s, again, started with their fantasy. And Duke, Duke Cypher, Fried, uh, Siegfried, he, um, great sculptor. Uh, then there's Max Carr with Heritage. It just built and it rolled and it rolled. And suddenly, fantasy was a massive thing. You know, the sort of mid 70s to the later 70s, it started taking off. And it was, I, I hit it um, around, um, as I say, the time of Dungeons and Dragons for me, to, uh, Blue Book Basic, uh, Holmes Basic, about 76, 77. So that's when I really started playing, but I'd started collecting beforehand. Uh, and within a very short time, we were spoiled. And it was, it was quite, I look back on it and it was a great time, but you could get a miniature for everything. You didn't have to do any work, which is quite sad. I remember reading so many uh, letters in uh, modeling magazines about people having to do the research uh, going to you know museums, going to libraries. Uh, you didn't obviously we didn't have the internet back then. Uh, you'd write off to magazines, and the magazine would say, "Oh, so and so is asking for some information on blah 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 hussars. Can someone help?" And then you know two months later, someone else would write in, and that you know they might get an answer. It's we'd be started becoming spoiled, and so many com but so many companies came out of the woodwork uh, to do just fantasy the the historical companies started doing fantasy but loads and loads and loads of companies came out the little small guys again these are the these are the companies that i'm trying to collect because they didn't last long and uh, they had small ranges some of them have disappeared and i haven't got any examples of them there's a fantastic resource called the lost minis wiki if anyone's interested in miniatures uh it's a project um, started, um, oh, sorry, I can't think of the, uh, the guy who started it, but it's just to catalogue every single miniature, uh, fantasy miniature going, and we're getting there slowly but surely. Uh, there's so many ranges that I've got listings, I've no examples of any of the miniatures, uh, but again, it just built up, and the rules were coming fast and furious. When um, uh, Steve Jackson, Ian Livingston, uh, First uh, got in contact, no, sorry, Gary Gygax got in contact with them because um, someone had given uh, Gary a copy of their Owl and Weasel magazine, which the precursor to White Dwarf. Mm. Uh, Gary Gygax got in contact with them. Steve and Ian um, ended up getting a license for Dungeons and Dragons uh, and they put a massive order of six copies in and they got the European uh, distributorship on six copies. Um, not knowing that um, TSR at that time was uh, being run from the basement of uh, the Gygax household. Uh, and obviously, um, I don't think Gary would have realised that Steve and Ian were, uh, had a shop, but they were actually living in the back of a van because they couldn't afford rent anywhere. Um, <laughs> so it's got these, these little small acorns. So much has grown. 
Stephen Ian have just uh, soon be releasing a book called uh, Dice Men. Uh, and again, if you're interested in the history of uh, Games Workshop, uh, it's it's going to be an absolute monster. It really is. <laughs> yeah, that's. It's interesting how in the gaming world, it's all. Uh, it all starts with a worldwide network of little tiny fly-by-night operations that now are massive monoliths that uh, rake in tons of money, especially. Uh, now, Wizards of the Coast with the D&D IP and uh, Games Workshop is a, a lot of times, especially here in the U.S., if you walk up to someone, you, it would have to be in like a hobby shop and say, name a miniature company. They're going to say Games Workshop or Citadel. I mean, you look, look back at, over, over the history of the Dungeons & Dragons license and um, Grenadier, I think, were one of the, the first to have it. Um, Games Workshop had it. Um, Ralph Partha had it. Um, then it all kind of went um, whoopsie whoopsie with the, everything that went on at TSR. And of course, now you know, Wizards of the Coast ended up you know, with uh, out of everything. And again, they, they've taken it to a different level. But again, now we've moved on with the technology so far that the stuff they're producing absolutely fantastic. Um, I was uh, looking earlier at a, um, it was a Games Workshop um, accessory set, and it said made in China, which uh, I always thought GW stuff was manufactured in the UK. Uh, I hadn't realized they'd started uh, moving stuff over to China. Um, and again, with um, Wizards of the Coast, I'm not sure where they produce everything. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it always, it's sad to me that something that's, so completely American because Dungeons and Dragons is an American game. Yep. That you end up with everything getting produced abroad, you know, for cost cutting purposes and such like. Yeah, it's business. But it seems sad because it's you know it's so for me the word is quintessentially American. You know, every time I I play Dungeons and Dragons, I, I kind of think I'm not playing an English game, I'm playing an American game. And and that's how it is. You, know, you kind of imagine, you know, Gary Gygax looking down from you and, you know, smiling, going, yeah, you're doing good, kids. You're doing good. Now, on a somewhat different note, um, in my personal experience, I didn't know what wargaming was until I was 13 years old, walked into a comic shop and saw people playing Warhammer 40K. When you were growing up, did you have an idea of what wargaming was? Did any of your friends wargame? Uh, or, or did you have kind of a similar uh, experience where you weren't really exposed to, to wargaming until you started getting into, like, miniature collecting? I, I, I used to um, game in a table at home, uh, but it was more, you know, pushing figures around and uh, so there's no dice throwing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was aware of gaming. My father took me to um, SPI, uh, who were a massive board game company. Uh, well, relatively speaking, back then they they lived. Sorry, that uh, warehouse was a I think about two miles from where we lived. And my father found out about it, uh, and I will have been thirteen. So this will have been sort of early early seventies. It must have been early mm -hmm. early mid seventies. Uh, took me to the warehouse there. And it was 
I look back on it now, and again, I wish I had more memories of it. Uh, because there was SBI, all, all these box uh, games, and it was like, wow. But for me, it was, but where are the miniatures? And of course, they didn't They didn't do miniatures. <laughs> My dad, I, he was a businessman. He, he ended up chatting away with them for ages about stuff. Uh, I ended up um, with a, a small Ziploc game, and I can't even remember what it was. Um, I had a friend um, at school, uh, Bob Morrison, his name was. Uh, he did some designing for New Hope Design, uh, which was like, wow. Uh, again, this was like in the mid-70s, uh, 54 mil, and uh, he could paint uh, fantastically. And he wargamed, but I never kind of got into it. I never got pulled into it. Uh, so really, um, my first time actually seeing um well it worked no it, it was finding out myself when we played dungeons and dragons uh, my first act war game was when warhammer came out uh, and we bought the original uh, rules and um played a game with uh, an old friend of mine uh i'm not oh, seeing donkeys he's tony cottrell who he now runs forge world and if you're out there tony i'll send me some samples um <laughs> But he, uh, we did a, an all-nighter Warhammer uh, uh, game, and it was un half unpainted figures, mostly historical. We decided not to use magic because it was too complicated, and we spent, I think it was about 12, 13 hours playing this game, uh, and playing it on the wing, you know, because we were making it up half the time because we didn't know really what we were doing. Um, so again, that, that will have been my first war game. As opposed to my first role playing, uh, as you know, I just I never um, got dragged into it. Uh, my school there was a war gaming society, but again, I I never got into it. It was a case of uh, uh, I don't know you, so uh, you know that shy like what is in America later, uh, kind of like oh no, I don't know you guys, so uh, I won't go in. Um, but yeah, I mean, not for want of asking, people kept saying, Dave, you know, come on, come on, it's lunchtime, you can go and war game. I'm like, no, don't know you guys. You're weird. Uh, so, yeah, I think I, I might have um, uh, lost a bit of good experience out of that. Yeah, when I had Alyssa Fadden on the show, she was talking about how she was involved in a, uh, a wargaming club in her school. And that's something, uh, like, in the U.S., that, that's unheard of. I don't know that any high school... Or, or many high schools, uh, as we would call them here, that that have like a war gaming club. Mine sure as hell did not. Uh, so, I think, I think they're a great, great idea um, for helping children, uh, you know, socialize, bond, or whatever. Um, I mean, keeping away from like <laughs> political or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. There's so little things for children to do outside of school um, these days. That if you can bond them with something like that, you know, sports obviously, but war, war gaming, it can be a fantastic way. Uh, war gaming, board gaming, role playing, getting them to um, show them that you know there's a different side uh, to the world. And so many children won't get that chance. Uh, I, I took my son uh, many years ago to Games Workshop. Um, I was in there. Um, uh, he's what 23, 24 now. It would have been about 12 at the time, so yeah, about 12, 13 years ago. And they said, yeah, come in on Saturday. We've run a game for youngsters. 
brilliant. Um, got home, painted. He painted up a load of Necrons, and we went in. And uh, there was about three or four other ch uh, young lads there, uh, and this guy, they all they all set up, and my son was so excited, and I was like, see, I was standing back there. This is great. And then the guy started talking to his mate, and basically left the kids to play on their own. And it was like, you blew it. You totally blew it. Mm -hmm. And my son just completely lost interest. You know, yeah, a couple of weeks later, he's hooked on PlayStation. Uh, you know, it had the chance mm -hmm. you know, to drag him into the hobby. Because uh, I said, I'm not a gamer. Um, so it, it, he knew about painting figures. But I'd, he, he wasn't going to get the gaming side from me. So I thought, brilliant. We could do this on a Saturday. Um, but the guy just blew it. Completely blew it. So I think the chance of um, youngsters getting it at school would, you know, is fantastic. I know there's a lot of places over here that do it. Games Workshop um, encourages it, you know, for obvious reasons. You know, they want those, uh, you know, the children to come in with their money. You know, whether mm -hmm. they're going to spend ten pounds, twenty pounds, or whatever, bring your bring your pocket money in. Uh, they've got a fantastic marketing method. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even just from the the brief time that I played Warhammer 40k, I will tell any any parents of uh, preteens or teenagers out there, uh, if you get them hooked on Warhammer, they won't have money for drugs. <laughs> I, I, I say probably uh, 40k is more expensive than drugs going off yeah, the time. Absolutely. Not that I know anything about drugs, but yeah. You know, <laughs> Yeah, it's and it's the same thing with Magic the Gathering, but Magic the Gathering is cringe. So, uh, Warhammer or D and D. Well, I, th I think uh, I mean I've never played Magic the Gathering. My son started collecting the cards, and uh, again, he didn't want to play. He just wanted to collect the cards. Uh, one of my daughters recently started collecting uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cards uh, for a period of about three weeks, and then she stopped. Uh, but again, I think the, the card games, they can really, really um, get kids involved okay. um, and pull them in with one thing. You know, you can show them something else. Uh, and it's just getting them involved in something. But like you say, it's, you know, it's not drugs. It's not being out on the street, etc. Yep. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a better way, a good way forward. Hmm. And, and I don't mean to alienate anyone out there who likes Magic the Gathering uh, when I say magic is cringe, that's coming entirely from my experience with magic, where I'd have friends who'd be like, here, let's let's uh, show you how to play. And they'd basically bring me in to uh, to do the job for them, to use a wrestling term. Uh, I, I was set up to lose. So <laughs> that's uh... the one story I'd, I heard about Magic the Gathering was a, um, a shop in France a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And these uh, two people were playing, and one guy who was a very sore loser apparently lost, grabbed hold of his opponent's cards, and ripped them up. And I, until I, I read that again, it was some years ago, I thought, no, 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 no. Apparently, he was banned from you know, getting, uh, uh, the hobby shops all over wherever it was. Uh, but I just thought that's uh, that's a bit much. Yeah. Oh yeah me uh, that's uh, an obsession but again i have friends who collect magic the gathering cards and they tell me about the uh the money they go for and it's like oh my god you know it's just uh it's it's insane absolutely insane but 
that's the that's the appeal of Magic the Gathering. They've got a collectible aspect to it, and as soon as you can introduce a collectible aspect to something that sells, um, you're, you're on to winner. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when it comes to these miniatures that uh, you know you're beginning to collect here in the you know the late '70s, early '80s, mid '80s, what's the quality like on these things? I I know you can see a lot of this on. Uh, you know, on, on your blog, dear Tony Blair, you can see this on Lost Minis Wiki. Um, but but describe these miniatures to anyone out there who's not seen a picture of what like a an early Raoul Partham mini or a, a Grenadier mini looks like. I I grabbed a few. Um, this again, we've got the you know, it's the, the camera aspect. Uh, might not show it. This is a Lamming Miniatures Merlin. This will have been, I would have thought, later 70s possibly. Bill Lamming, again, one of these guys that carved everything out of lead. Uh, you uh, see if we can get to it. I think you can just about... Mm -hmm. Kind of, I think you can kind of get... Oh, I'll just throw that down there. Try again. Yeah, you can more or less see, and for anyone listening on audio, uh, there's definitely, uh, you, you can find images of these things online, but yeah, it's, uh, it is very, minimalist, very, we'll put it that way. Uh, I, I think at that time there were two, there were hmm. two Merlins available, one was Minifigs, uh, Gandalf. Uh, we have a, a giant from Minifigs, which is like an, an improvement uh, with Minifigs, um, uh, yep. Mm -hmm. You can kind of just make it out. Sorry, it's the uh, move that away. Ah, oh, that's better. Yeah, yeah. You can you can see a, a great deal more detail on this one, um, but especially it, with that, that amazing plaid paint job you did there. I I struggle to do plaid, so that is the only time I've ever done that, and it took me forever. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. You know, the, the amount of times you have to paint things over. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Lowback Dragon Two. Now this. Uh, Slightly not suitable for work. Um, this is um, Meg, one of the giants, and she's uh, absolutely horrendous. So I'm trying to uh, yeah. put her. Yeah, up. absolutely. Uh, and she she is one of these sort of collectible figures now. All Dragon Tooth miniatures are collectible. Mm. Uh, he marketed a brilliant marketing. Tom Loback. Um, they did a, a, a Giant of the Month Club, all this sort of thing. Uh, the the quality was up and down. A lot of the companies uh, in the seventies uh, to early eighties got away with murder, uh, but the sculpting evolved. Uh, you had obviously the, the Perry twins um, that got better and better and better and better. They hated fantasy. They, they never liked fantasy. They did fantasy because you know, that was what was wanted. When they could do historical, they did historic, historical. Uh, when they were obviously with Games Workshop, all they were doing was uh, you know Lord of the Rings, blah blah blah. Now they've gone. They're not allowed to do fantasy, I believe, because a, a subcontract in their um, uh, whatever you call it papers. Um, but so many um, people came out of that uh, that era. Um, building fantastic quality um trying to think of tom meyer tom meyer started off some of his very early uh pieces 
uh, in Milliput uh, were, you know, yeah, the basic. You know, you can still get them today. I think Ralph Parther and Lee's is um, uh, Jacob uh, Fathbrookner there's uh, re-releasing them bit by bit. Uh, but they were done in Milliput. Then Tom Meyer discovered something called green stuff, an epoxy resin. Uh, two part blue and yellow mixed together it becomes green and that's why uh, nowadays people when they make uh, do sculpts they'll say oh have you seen my legs it's green uh, it, it just changed um, everyone's ability for sculpting uh, because you could get so much more detail in it it was so much a much better medium to work with uh, and, and Tom Meyer stuff just from, from his very you know, early days, once he discovered green stuff, it was jaw-dropping, absolute jaw-dropping. Um, they, they moved on. Um, one of the worst things about quality in the early days was the metal. Hmm. Uh, so many times uh, the metal content was atrocious. Uh, archive miniatures, Neville Stocken, they would go to tyre companies and get the, um, the lead clamps off the tyres. Uh, you know, buckets of them from tyre companies and use those. Uh, they would use battery lead. Um, Citadel, the, um, they would do similar. Um, yeah. uh, anything for cheap lead, the, the bismuth they added in. Uh, so many figures nowadays are falling apart, rotting, um, because of the poor quality from back then. Uh, but again, you, you get a minifix figure. It's 99% of them. They're as good today as they were then, although the sculpting quality uh, wasn't quite there. But again, minifigs changed um, at uh, one point. They um, did a tie-in with uh, Games Workshop Value of the Four Winds board game. They released a, a large range of miniatures, and uh, this the sculptor just literally, <laughs> to, well, to us, because you only see these things advertised, it's like mm -hmm. overnight they went from really boring minifigs to incredibly exciting. Uh, just a fantastic Hieronymus Bosch sort of um, range of miniatures. And uh, it just evolved bit by bit by bit, it evolved. Um, you got the you know the great such a, Nick Bibby, uh, who now does life-size and larger uh, bronzes. Uh, he worked for the you know, Games Workshop uh, for Citadel, uh, Asgard beforehand. Uh, absolutely incredible sculptor became allergic to uh, Milliput and you know the, the sculpting mediums he was using and had to, had to leave it. But he then, as I say, went to work on bronzes and uh, the work he does, like Andrew Chernak from Grenadier, uh, after Grenadier fell apart, there's a lot of blood, bad blood. But um, you can look up Andrew Chernak's uh, new company, well, he knew he's been doing it for years now. Uh, again, it's life-size bronzes, you know, um, Civil War memorials, all that sort of thing. Um, it just you know, it evolved away from the hobby yeah. into you know, life-size sculpting. Um, Tom Meyer, uh, I've I've seen pictures of. Uh, he has a, a life-size. I, th I think it's cast in bronze. A life-size elf in his garden. It, it's just it's phenomenal. There's a, if you go onto the Ralph Parker Legacy site, uh, somewhere or another, there's a, there's a picture that Jacobs could obviously. Um, uh, you know, Jacobs got the pictures off off Tom. And uh, it's just like, I want one of those. You know, it's like a six foot tall bronze elf. Now, that's what you need. You need yeah, one of those in your garden. Absolutely. Something's got to guard your front door. I probably witted on a bit too, too much there, trying to get going away from the original question. It's all good. 
Um, now, another question that I have, because these days we don't just see the metal miniatures. Nowadays, there's a lot of uh, resin and plastic miniatures. When did plastic start becoming uh, a material that was common in miniatures? And wh when did you first start seeing plastic miniatures on the market? Well, Heritage, I think, was one of the um, earliest um, to do uh, plastic miniatures. They did box sets, mm. um, sort of paint and play. Uh, the, the figures were pretty atrocious, um, but I suppose the, the um, technology had been there for a, lo for a long time, you know, with the likes of Airfix, Rebel, Italia, Eski, etc. Um, they, but those were pure fantasy. I think there was four different box sets they did. Um, I think that was I think that was all that Heritage did. I, I don't think they were great sellers. They didn't last very long. Um, very little came out until. I think Games Workshop started uh, in plastics. They did a, I think, um, a thing called Drastic Plastic. And I think it was, uh, they were drastically poor sculpts uh, and a drastic attempt at, um, you know, releasing plastic. They did um, an orc and a dwarf. I think it was a spur of three. Uh, and they released those. Uh, and not exactly to critical acclaim, but I think obviously they were testing the market, seeing what was going, what, uh, what would happen. Uh, they then released um, uh, uh, the box set RTB01, the uh, um, Space Marines, Space Marine box set, which just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And it was that realization that, yes, now we can make money out of plastics. Um, Gre Grenadier, one of the problems with uh, Grenadier, I think they invested in the wrong things. They bought up um, some similar Space Marine type. Um, figures that didn't do so well you know the, the, the monies were going in the wrong places the games workshop knew what they were doing they'd introduced um, slaughter bases to save on uh, well theoretically it was to save on metal but it just created uh, a kind of a new genre within the miniatures of a uh, a slaughter figure uh, now virtually everybody does them uh, beforehand gw it was new uh, and it was, uh, for me, they were an absolute pain in the proverbial. Um, when they first came out, I wasn't used to them, didn't like them. I liked solid base. Uh, but plastic bit by bit was coming in. And it, it got cheaper. And then obviously uh, stuff started getting produced in China. Um, and it just, it, the ball rolled. The ball rolled. Um, and, until, yeah, obviously now, everybody's, everybody's doing it. Uh, we've got in the UK, we have a, um, a company called uh, Renedra who produce a lot of the uh, Perry miniatures plastics and um, a lot of the North Star miniatures plastics, uh, among, amongst others. There's lots of them doing it. Uh, but obviously, China, I think a War Games factory, I think they're all produced in China and then shipped over to wherever. Uh, Reaper miniatures um, with their Reaper bones, you know, the, however many millions they take it on each of their Kickstarters. Um, so everything's then made in uh, China. The molds are produced in China. It's so much cheaper. Uh, mm -hmm. But now all the machinery is getting shipped to the States. So once it's been created, at least then it's becoming an American-made uh, product. Yep. Uh, we have this new um, uh, product called Sirecast, which is a spin-casting plastic, which is kind of sh shaking um, the industry up a little bit uh, because you can get near-plastic um, miniatures. I've not, I've not tried to assess the actual material myself. 
Uh, I've seen it being cast, but the spin casting, what is virtually plastic, for a fraction of the cost. Because when you're manufacturing plastic miniatures, normally it's steel moulds, and the tooling and everything is um, rather um, eye-wateringly expensive. Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, um, it's, it's been a slow um, move forward, um, but so many are going for that. And then, of course, we've got um, print your own now. Yep. Um, you know, you've got a computer, you know, you get a, a program. It's not, you know, it doesn't take that long uh, beyond my ability. <laughs> I have tried. Um, but uh, people are just then printing stuff off. It's mm. uh, That's uh, an evolution. An evolution I don't particularly like myself, but, you know, it's an evolution. Uh, mm. I'll just say, you know, back to the beginning, art, um, everything evolves. Have the 3D printed miniatures improved enough where you can kind of start to see the potential in them or is it still uh you know not quite there in your mind it's all down to the printer hmm. uh i i don't well it's not i don't understand i, I don't have a uh, a printer um the little I've, i gather they're an absolute pain again pain in the proverbial uh to operate but once you know what you're doing with a decent enough printer um the prints are fantastic, absolutely fantastic. You have a cheap printer, you get a cheap print. Uh, the more expensive um, printers, uh, it's just getting better and better and better. Uh, it was People sometimes say that eventually um, people will just be sell, selling the STL files. You, know, uh, you download it and then you print off. You, know, you don't buy physical product anymore. You just get the, the STLs. No. Possibility, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's here to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like with all technology, it's getting more affordable, and uh, even some of the more affordable printers are starting to improve in quality. Um, that being said, it, it'll be a shame uh, if that day comes where you're not able to buy a physical miniature, because there's nothing quite as awesome as that box showing up at your house, you opening it up and pulling out the blister packs. And... Hiding it from your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah, the, the thing of getting, I mean, I have so many memories as a child waiting for the postman mm-hmm. and then the postman not turning up. You know, back in the day, you know, you, you couldn't, you got a magazine and it might give you a listing if you were lucky. So you'd send off uh, your self-stamped address envelope and a postal order or a check if, if my dad would give me a check and then you would wait depending on the company two to three weeks for something to come back and uh, the first miniatures i ever got in metal were peter lang 15 mil sample and i couldn't work out what it was meant to be his his miniatures his 15 mil they have a massive following th- these days um were recognition they basically you painted you know if it were young you wanted um napoleonic british you painted them red um and that's how you knew they were british napoleonic you could look at some of them and you think is that a napoleonic figure is that a medieval infantryman they were that poor uh, mm-hmm. and i got a um a, a sample one three hundredth scale tank off a company called canon miniatures uh and one off skytrex and i put me off completely put me off metal um, for a couple of years because they were absolutely atrocious. Mm. We have come so far 
Uh, like you say, um, you can print your own now, but actually having that product arrive on your doorstep, the real box that you can open up, or walking into a shop and seeing a bunch of new releases and just getting that absolute excitement, you, you can't beat it. You yeah. can't, you never will. It's like a little bit of Christmas all throughout the year. Absolutely. Completely and utterly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's it, one thing that I really like that a lot of miniature companies that I've seen are doing now. Sometimes they'll, like, put candy in the box with you. I got yeah. stuff from yeah. from Hassle-Free, and they sent me some Smarties. And I was just like, oh, that's Hassle-Free and Harris both do that. I, I, think, yeah. I think Reaper do it as well now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I remember yeah, uh, having orders off Hassle-Free and thinking, yeah, I'm pre-diabetic, I can't. Um <laughs> Yeah, and then again, the same off that. They're fun companies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sometimes corporations change things, but hassle-free, heresy, um, it, it, even Reaper. Reaper seems to have a family value. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, the, the Whites, um, Kevin Sally, they are, they are great people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know them reasonably well. Um, met them on a you know, n- number of occasions at various um, cons and such like. Uh, Andy Andy Foster at uh, Heresy again, he's mad as a box of frogs, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he's great, absolutely great. And uh, handwritten note in every order you get, yep. you know, you, you get the feeling that you know he appreciates everything, which I'm sure you know, all companies do, mm-hmm. uh, but the small companies. But it's, it's it is a joy to have these little things. Somewhere in one of my uh, boxes, I have my handwritten note uh, from Heresy, uh, and and I I forgot to mention them earlier. They they have some real good quality uh, miniatures as well. That well, and, and, and is currently doing um, are looking to be doing some skeleton warriors. Uh, mm-hmm. He's you can buy the three ups uh, in resin, and uh, they are absolutely phenomenal. If he gets them released in plastic, which is the plan, um, they they will be um, some of the best uh, skeleton uh, going. But yeah, if, if you're into fantasy at all, uh, whatever it be, you know, pure role playing, um, blood bowl, whatever, uh, have a look at Heresy Miniatures. Uh, he's a fant- fantastic guy, great sculptor, and uh, I- has a fan- some fantastic ranges. I do have one hair. It's not my favorite heresy miniature, but I do have one heresy miniature that I've painted on hand right here. It's the elven archer. Oh yeah. yeah. If I can get him to focus. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Your camera's better than mine. <laughs> no, I think. Yeah, Andy, Andy some... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say Andy, Andy has some fant- fantastic stuff. It did a monk called, uh, the Madam, which is like this bloated, almost um, Cthulhu-esque female with tentacles. Um, and it's, you know, absolutely massive. I've got one upstairs. Uh, and it's just the stuff of nightmares, but it's brilliant. Muckle mm-hmm. uh, Peak, the giant that he did, um, like a sort of 14-inch tall giant. Uh, yeah, yeah, check him out. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the uh, the always popular Big Boris miniatures that he has going on there. Yes. Yeah, Kev White actually has sculpted one for him, uh, a, a large-scale one um, mm. that's uh, Andy produced in resin. That's a, uh, a big firm favourite of mine. But yeah, he's, uh, but Boris is a regular... Um, I think he's just... Has he just done 25 years? 
um, being in business? I think I, so. I think so. Yeah, I think he's, he's doing another Boris or something. I can't, sorry, I can't remember. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sad it was 25 years. Uh, but uh, yeah, he uh, he's just one of those guys that's great, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, if you know War Games Foundry, I the, haven't uh, gotten any of their stuff. The, the absolute, I mean, it's it's historical. They do do a bunch of fantasy. Um, they have um, most years a thing called Boil, Bring Out Your Lead, and it's a show where they're out in the country. It's a wonderful house. They mainly do weddings and such like that. But they have this fantastic courtyard surrounded by these uh, outbuildings and they put up a, uh, a marquee tent in the middle. And mm-hmm. it's a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, of uh, free gaming. Uh, so once a year I go down with friends and I, I just walk around talking lead. But uh, there are often friends from all over and it's people from Europe and such like come over. And it's just the fun everyone is having. And there's always a hero quest game. You know, whoever there is into Hero Quest, there's always a Hero Quest game going on. Mm. And um, Jeff Solomon Sims, he's uh, a good friend. Um, he uh, has done his own board. <laughs> it's just you know, incredible. But if you can ever get over to Boyle, bring out your lead at War Games Foundry. Uh, I don't think they've released um, the dates for this year's one. Um, mm. But yeah, it, absolutely brilliant. The, um the camaraderie is fantastic. You know, it's so good. They have beer, they have food. Um, you know, what else? What else you need? Beer, food, gaming, and miniatures. It's Absolutely. perfect. Yeah. If only they could have some dogs running around there too. <laughs> hey. So if only they could have some dogs running around there too. That was a question. That was a question because uh, Diane was asking me about um, coming down to uh, work. They were doing a, um, a show of Warhammer artwork. I wanted mm-hmm. me to come down and uh, it worked there, but I, said, I will if I can bring the dog. <laughs> and then they were discussing it uh, with Maria because they they got a dog, and Maria would say, "Yeah, yeah, 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 you bring the dog. They'll love each other." Uh, it didn't work out, but uh, you know, one, one year I take the dog around with me. Hmm. Gotcha. With a t-shirt. Hmm. Absolutely. Now, uh, as we're kind of getting towards the end of our time here, uh, I definitely want you to to tell people a little bit more about the uh, the work that you do. And let's start with your uh, what I will say hilariously named uh, blog here, Dear Tony Blair. Uh, most of my audience, I'd say a super majority of my audience is American. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, Tony Blair uh is a british politician he was prime minister right around the same time that george w bush was president he's controversial to say the very least uh so the fact that you did the bait and switch there with the title is hilarious to me it's it's the reason i did it um i i can't remember why i started a block i think think it was back in 2007 uh and my initial thought was going to be something political Mm. um i just Create it on a block blog spot. Um, so originally it was you know dear Tony Blair dot, dot blogspot dot co dot uk etc. Um, but I never really posted. Uh, obviously never had any hits because no one was interested. Yeah, you know, I just it was just something to do. Mm. And then I went to um, salute one year, and 
posted pictures from Salute. And suddenly, it was getting hit after hit after hit after hit, and people were leaving comments. And it was like, what? This? Oh, yes. Yes, please. This is what I like. And it started the ball rolling for me. I posted a few pictures beforehand so that I could use the uh, image URLs to post on various forums. Um, but I, I was never into it. And it just took off. Um, I then got um, Bob Ollie. Um, the Scott used to used to work for a games workshop uh, to sculpt a Margaret Thatcher and a Tony Blair dwarf, uh, and again I was giving them away at shows, uh, and it and everybody loves them. But then I thought, okay, so I started getting more and more and more. And now there's about I think 20, uh, 22, 23 Politico miniatures, uh, and they're all little dwarves, uh, all sculpted by Bob Ollie, um, and it, you know it's, it's got from uh, Obama to Donald Trump. Uh, Boris Johnson, uh, even got Men in Black, just released Men in Black and Netanyahu. So, they, mm. yeah, but they're all kind of tying, tying into the blog. Uh, but dear Tony Blair, it's it's all about miniatures, old school miniatures, um, and just the hobby. Uh, you know, and uh, if, if you can visit, please visit, please leave comments. I love to, you know, when people leave comments, uh, unless it's the, uh, the spammers, <laughs> keep getting hit by spammers, but you know, it's very easy to delete. But uh, yeah, it's a labor of love, and uh, I absolutely love it. And then you also have the Little Soldier Company, so tell us a little bit about that as well. Well, uh, yeah, Little Soldier Company, that started uh, a few years back. I, uh, I got uh, the license for producing Nog in the Nog miniatures. Now, um, you might have heard of it, might not. It was like a 60s, 70s um, animation uh, produced by a company called Small Films over here that was on uh, the BBC. Uh, very, very popular. Um, people yeah, over here of a certain age, you say Nog in the Nog, they just they travel back in time. And it's basically a, a, a Viking. Uh, they were very um, uh, anti-war. Um, you know, anti-nuclear deterrent and all this sort of thing, and it mm. shows in, in the show, absolutely fantastic show. Uh, and I, I got the license for producing the miniatures, uh, and then I um, expanded. I got Kev Adams to design some. Um, I've always loved Slan, you know, Citadel, the old Citadel Slan and Dragon Tooth Saurians, and I wanted something like that. And Kev Adams designed me uh, load, um, and then it just started. The ball started rolling. And so, yeah, the Little Soldier Company is just my um, expansion of the hobby. Uh, it's very, very much a hobby. Um, I think one day, if I'm lucky, it might turn a profit. But at the moment, it just it's, it's a money pit, absolute money pit. Um, but I, various ranges now. Um, mm. Excuse me. Um, there's a Alice in the Wonderland type scenario, uh, type um, one I've just uh, kickstarted, just loaded up on there. If you need a hedgehog with a machine gun, that's the place to go to. It's uh, it's, it's great fun. It's a labor of love. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, looking at this uh, entry here, I think my favorite on here is the barroom brawl set. Oh, yeah, the Dwarven barroom brawl, yeah. I, I adore them. It is going to be expanded. But <laughs> if you need a vomiting dwarf, um, there you go. Or if you need a, t- a mimic, a toilet turning into a mimic monster, yeah, that's what you've got. You know, it's uh, absolutely and a pair of Westies. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs a pair of Westies. They're on there, bar and brawl. Mm-hmm. 
And and my personal favorite is the uh, the two dwarves throwing axes at a goblin tied to a target. So oh, the, the goblin's lament. Yeah, he's very unhappy, and very unhappy. <laughs> that was so. The, the guy uh, Andy Andy Hyde painted that up for me and did that little uh, vignette on on the uh, on the side. I didn't paint that one myself, but yeah, yeah, he did a great job on that. Gotcha. Well, uh, those are great places to check out. Um, and and you've also got a little bit of a social media presence as well. Do do you uh, you know use that very often or? I'm uh, Facebook. I'm I'm spend far too much time on Facebook. Uh, I'm on many, many. I mean, obviously, I've got a little soldier company one. I've got a dear Tony Blair one. Uh, my own personal one, which tends to be uh, mostly political or family. Um, but uh, I'm a member of many groups, such as the um, old school miniatures group, um, uh, the old hammer community uh, group. There's basically, if, if you like miniatures, well, in fact, if you like gaming, you can find anything on Facebook. Um, but uh, for me, uh, old school miniatures and the old hammer community are just two fantastic groups. Uh, you, you know, everybody's welcome there. Uh, it's a great friendly community. If you want to find stuff that you, you, you're missing from uh, your youth, or you've got stuff from your youth you want to identify uh, or sell, even because you know, there's so many people out there still buying um, and uh, identification stuff, it's, it's great fun. Absolutely great fun. Good communities. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, David, thank you so much for your time tonight. This has been a, a really cool interview. And I'll tell you guys, we are at some point uh, going to bring on some other guests to talk about the uh, kind of the modern history of miniatures. So we're, we're going to revisit this topic uh, another time uh, at some point down the line, you know, when, whenever, you know, we can we can get more people on the show. Uh, but this has been a great conversation talking about kind of that original uh golden age of miniatures right there in the the 70s and 80s where uh really the the idea of the the modern miniature began so thank you so much for uh you know telling us what you what you know about that and uh you know giving us some of that background absolute pleasure thanks for inviting me absolutely well guys that's going to do it for tonight's show uh, next week, James is going to be on the other side of uh, the the Discord here, uh, helping me with a little bit of an AMA. We're going to do the first ever Rollin' Bones Ask Ryan Anything. Uh, I will answer personal questions that are not too terribly personal. I will uh, answer your DMing questions. I will answer... Uh, questions about, you know, your favorite movies, TV shows, my favorite movies and TV shows, comic books. Uh, any questions that you have for me, I will try to answer. We'll put something on Twitter. Uh, we will, you know, give you many, many opportunities to submit your questions uh, to ask me anything for next week. And uh, that's really going to be it for the month of April because, and I don't know how much I've talked about this on the show, I am going to be a new father uh, this month. So, thank you. Thank you. There's going to be a lot of uh, instability in my schedule, so we're going to do one episode uh, next week, and then that's going to be it until May. Uh I'm excited for the changes, and I'll I'll be back. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere uh, for too terribly long. I, I will be back. Uh, but that's what we've got coming up this month. So until then, 
look for ways to ask your questions to me. I'll be putting that out sometime this weekend. And uh, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and with us at Valor Studios. And we will see you guys next time.